Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Madel. What's going on, Rachel? Chris, I have a story to share with you this week. I have a story for you too. Who's gonna go first? Um, let me go first. Mine's probably shorter. Okay. So um, I was um, recently up in New Jersey doing a, a couple presentations, and one of our um, listeners was came to the presentation and actually a Patreon supporter. Her name's Anna, and Anna was also someone who wrote us through Patreon and asked us a couple questions, and we answered her questions on the podcast. Um, and she was like, "You answered my questions," and I was like, "Oh my gosh, they're answering my questions on the podcast!" And then um, you know we hung out for a little bit there she came to a bunch of my sessions sessions on robots sessions on coaching and mentoring um at the end of this conference we played cards against exclusivity and she was there for that too so it was just great experience because because you know how awesome it is when you get to meet somebody in person who listens to the podcast and gets to come up and tell you how it has affected their life and changed their life and give them a greater out uh greater outlook on and a greater perspective on how to approach things and so it was really just Anna. it was great to meet you everyone else if you listen to this podcast and you see rachel and i out in the wild um please come say hi because it's always such an honor to meet all of you and to chat with you and to talk with all of you so i thought you'd appreciate that story rachel yeah of course my only regret is that i wasn't there i feel like so much fomo right now i know it's hard to get you out to new jersey because it's a couple hour flight right yeah, it's a it's a far journey, although I will say I'm going to be back on the East Coast soon, uh, which is so funny, Chris. We're doing a, a webinar series and I'm going to be like probably half an hour away from this group of people that we're going to be presenting to virtually. It's true. Well, I, honestly, we have a lots of things coming up together because we have these virtual presentations, but we have a couple in-person ones like in Indiana, up in, where is it? Uh, Minnesota, I think, coming up. So we've got a bunch of stuff coming. But We're, go we're, we're going to Minnesota. <laughs> Uh, so with that said, tell what's your story? So I had a little bit of a breakthrough with one of my coaching clients this week that I wanted to share. Um, so I, as many of you guys know, I do a lot of work uh, with coaching in my practice. At this point, if you're going to work with me directly, um, you're probably going to be doing a coaching model because we know that that is the most effective way to help students who are complex communicators. So one of my coaching clients, we've been working together um, for a couple months now, and the mom has been sharing videos. The mom and the dad have been sharing videos of interactions they're having with their child. And basically, we watch those videos back and we talk through them. And I ask reflective questions. And you know, a lot of the initial stages was a lot of skill building and teaching strategies. And now, um, what's so cool with coaching clients is you're able to kind of you know transition into asking more reflective questions and really leading uh, parents and communication partners kind of down a path uh, because you've taught them the skills and now it's really about self-reflection. So for one of the, the coaching families that I'm working with, um, we had a session last week and it was really, really exciting. We hit, were watching a video on the family who's been working on literacy. We've been doing a literacy kick. Um, and the video that they shared um, was kind of an aha moment for this family. Um, to kind of summarize what was going on in the video, they were working on letter, uh, sound to letter correspondence and letter recognition and sound recognition with their keyboard. So basically like trying to see what does this student know as far as letter names and letter sounds. 
And there was a moment where you could tell that this student didn't really know the answer, right? And which I'm sure happens to the student a lot, but it was so interesting to watch kind of what it looks like for a student who tried to kind of answer hesitated. And then you could tell he just had so much anxiety around the fact that he didn't know what the answer was. And we were watching it back and it was this aha moment for the family. Oh my gosh, like he's so anxious right now. And like, they didn't notice it in real time. Right. So that's one of the benefits of the video modeling, right. Is like when you take a video and you can watch it back, you slow down the process, you notice things that you never would have noticed before. And it just opened up this really rich discussion on, you know, how many times he's probably faced with a situation where he doesn't know the answer and he feels anxious about it. Um, and he doesn't know what to do. You could see it like in his face, in his hands, like everything about him was transitioning from like, this is fun and engaging. And I feel like I'm doing, you know, so great to, oh my gosh, I don't know where this letter is and I don't know how to find it. And I don't know how to communicate that I don't know. And so I just wanted to share it on the podcast because I feel like there's probably so many situations that are similar that our students are in and they don't know, you know, how to communicate what they don't know. And so teaching a compensatory strategy of, you know, teaching kids how to say, I don't know, or I need help um, should be at the forefront of our therapy because our kids are faced all the time with situations where they don't know an answer and they don't know the expectation. And especially if we're thinking about autistic students, you know, there's a lot of dysregulation that can happen and anxiety that can build when they're not sure of an answer. Um, So, you know, it's kind of twofold. One, like this student, you know, it was like a really great opportunity to remember, like we need to teach those compensatory strategies for students but also like such a great opportunity to talk, you know, with this family about what this looks like, how we can prevent this, um, you know, how we can shift into, you know, activities that are less like right versus wrong and more into open-ended experiences where we just follow his lead. Um, and so I just wanted to share it because I felt like it was just such an amazing moment to the point where I got goosebumps during the session. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is such a breakthrough. And now moving forward, like we can know this about this student and we can, you know, make sure his team at school knows this. And, you know, it really was such an eye-opening experience. And Well, it might even be best to assume many students or all students that you work with are going to feel this anxiety, um, especially students. Um, I think there's some evidence to suggest that students with disabilities are asked a lot more questions than students without disabilities, let alone having complex communication needs or using an AAC device. So, and then those questions, the way you're framing that, I just see this happen all the time. It might be something that you think is really low stress or, uh, you you as the educator, like, I'm going to hold up these two cards and this card could say, do you want the marker or the pencil? And there's no option for I don't know <laughs> or I don't care or, you know, something that sort of illustrates that um, that uh, that that question is not relevant to me. You know, so your takeaway there of let's just follow the student's lead and kind of introduce some fun activities and let, let's not make it a quiz and that let's let's decrease the number of questions. Uh, it seems really poignant. I think that's a it's feedback we often give in our presentations, too, is like, all right, if you analyzed how many questions you asked in the last half hour, you know, would you find what's the percentage? Like, well, what's the percentage of questions you asked in 30 minutes? You know, is it um, super high? 
compared to when I say percentage, questions versus statements versus comments. Um, and I, I will bet it is pretty high on just quizzing kids by asking them questions. And then this, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. You had another well, thought. I, I just had the other thought that uh, you, you mentioned, but it is so poignant and important is the aha moment that everybody had by watching that video. So again, how often are we actually looking at video and reflecting on our own practice or are we helping parents reflect on their practice or helping an educator reflect on their practice? But that power of video cannot be understated. I could not agree more. I feel like, you know, we talk a lot about this during our coaching talk, Chris, you know, how do professional athletes get better at their craft? They watch their tapes. <laughs> How do you know we get better as communication partners? Like we watch ourselves back and we, you know, reflect on what we did and how we could do things differently. But we do we is the question. But do we? But do we? I do. I do. But I will say I do it because I do a lot of speaking, you know, engagements and I share a lot of videos from my therapy and I share on social media, you know. So I, you know, I'm kind of in a position where I'm always kind of scouring through my therapy uh, videos to find kind of some gems and some nuggets to share, you know, online. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to be a better coach you know, start watching your videos back. If you want to be a better SLP, start watching, you know, videos of your sessions back and you'll start noticing things that you would have never thought of in real time. If you want to be a better communication partner, record yourself working with the student and then, okay, analyzing how well your own skills were at becoming a better communication partner. Did I wait long enough? Uh, did I expand? Did I uh, repeat what the student said on the communication device? You can watch the video back. And then there's all these other things that you might notice besides just what you're looking for. But like you just did, you're like, oh my gosh, look at the anxiety. Look at how we just noticed this student's uh, anxiety go from uh, zero, non-existent to a five, six, seven, or eight on a, on a scale of one to 10. Um, what other things would you notice if you watch a video back? I want to share something funny, Chris. So I was uh, recording a new module for my course, AAC Ally. And um, it was basically me watching back an assessment that I did and kind of talking through it in a clinical way. And in real time, as I was recording this module, I noticed that I didn't, I didn't attribute meaning. And it's like, this is something that we talk about all the time, you know, taking what a, a student says and really, you know, attributing meaning to that is how they'll learn. And I completely ignored what this student said on their AAC. And I just redirected to something else. And it, it was a funny moment because it was literally like, and see what I just did there? Don't do that. <laughs> but it's just a perfect example of like, we teach these concepts. We have a podcast about AAC. Everyone thinks like, they they don't do those things. No, we're, we're all human and we all do the things that we know we're not supposed to do. Yeah. Well, I mean... Even Tom Brady throws interceptions sometime, right? Like the, the best quarterback uh, ever uh, will throw an interception. And so you can't be perfect, uh, but you can be better, right? And then you can use that moment to be like, ah, I see what I did there. Ah, I'll try and do better next time, right? Uh, yeah, I, I totally get that. That, um, And I think it should be expected. Like, And the other thing, I guess, is if you're pointing that out to the people that signed up for AAC Ally or parents in a coaching call that gives them a little bit of like right even rachel makes mistake i can't be perfect either you know because sometimes you people get really down on themselves totally i feel like that's a strategy that i use especially during coaching um and even just mentorship when i'm mentoring other slps um supervising them in my you know practice it's like we all have to be upfront and honest and authentic about when we make mistakes and it really helps 
level the playing field um, because we all, you know, make mistakes and we all, you know, could do better at any given moment of time. And so I just think it really helps, um, you know, communication partners and, you know, other SLP students, everyone feels more comfortable when you're like, yeah, see what I did there? And just not, don't do that. <laughs> so let me tell you about the interview today, Rachel. I'm so excited. So uh, a couple moons ago, I got to go to um, Alabama. And when I was in Alabama doing some presentations, uh, I met an AAC user and his name is Hank. And uh, Hank and I kind of, you know, got to know each other a little bit. And I was like, would you like to come on the podcast? And he was like, absolutely. I'd like to come on the podcast. And so, you know, some of our favorite episodes are with AAC users uh, because we often get to learn different perspectives about um, how we can adjust our practice and what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Let's do what works based on what an AAC user says works. So uh, that's what this is. This is an interview with Hank Poor. Hi, everybody. This is Chris, the Vice President of Impact Voices. I have exciting news. Registration is open for Impact Voices Live Hangout in celebration. It is time to register for this exciting new conference. This is the only conference bringing the business and AAC community together to network. We are going to impact, empower, and connect everybody. Go to impactvoices.org backslash registration to register. For the best room rate, reserve your hotel room before September 9th. We are looking forward to seeing you there. Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bougay, and today I have the great fortune of talking to Hank Poor. Hank, am I saying your last name right? Poor, P-O-O-R-E? Yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So, Hank, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Hank Poor, and I'm a director of a nonprofit organization called the Hank Poor Foundation that helps people with disabilities in my community. I'm 21 years old and the youngest of four kids. I have been fortunate enough to grow up in a university town, which has given me access to good schools, good therapists, and great recreational opportunities. I've always been a motivated person, even when the time I was born and I've always worked hard to surpass the expectations that others have put on me. Hank, it's so great to, uh, to welcome you to the show and for being here. Uh, let me just give the listeners a little bit of background about how you and I met. So I had the great fortune of going to the Alabama Educational Technology Conference, and I was doing a couple of presentations on AAC. And just before the conference, um, a Toby Dynavox rep reached out to me, Elizabeth Stewart. Hank, you know Elizabeth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, she was like, hey, I'm going to be there. Can we hook up and can we, can we chat and kind of get together? And maybe we can go out for, um, for beverages or something afterwards. And so I found her over at the, uh, at the booth and there at the Toby Dynavox booth that she was working. And that's where you were, right, Hank? 
Um, and so we hit it off. We were chatting and then you participated in one of the um, sessions that I was doing. It was all about, it was the robot session, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then did you have a session there too? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. But I don't think I could go to yours because I think we were presenting opposite yeah. each other, right? Yeah. Here it is, this huge educational technology conference, and the small number of sessions on AAC are scheduled at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so so then we uh, we did. We went out and had some beverages together and, and uh, chatted, and I asked you to come on the podcast, and then we scheduled this, right? And in that yeah. in-between time, Hank, of when there was the the conference and when we met and now our recording i did a little facebook stalking i was like where's this Hank at? Let me... <laughs> so i went on facebook and i looked you up and we became facebook friends right and i saw all these pictures of you that looked like you were on vacation like it looked like you were with your family and friends there were some of you like climbing palm trees and <laughs> I swear I saw a picture of you wrestling a, a wild pig or a boar or something. <laughs> um, I saw you, there was like iguanas in the picture. And then um, I know Rachel would love this because I know Rachel got to do this, but I think there was a picture of you like swimming with sharks or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> so this made me feel like you were a little bit of a, like an adventure seeker. Right. And I remember you mentioning that a little bit and that's, you had mentioned um, in the last question and the answer to the question, the Hank poor foundation. So let's just talk about that for a little bit. Are you an adventure seeker? What have you done? What would you like to do? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, hi yes, I'm very adventurous. I've water and snow ski, I've rock climbed, I biked races such as marathons, half marathon and a 159 mile bike ride up mountains of Colorado. My goal is to bike the San Francisco marathon. <laughs> Whoa, fantastic. That's more stuff than, geez, the fact that you're doing these sorts of things are, is exciting. It's so, so exciting. So, uh, it sounds like you then spun this into some sort of organization. And when, again, the, the, some of the Facebook stalking that I did, I noticed I went over to hankpoorfoundation.org, right? Yeah. <laughs> there, I saw that um, that you turned some of these hobbies and these sort of adventure activities into what your organization about, right? Is right. So maybe yeah. tell us a little bit about that organization. As I mentioned earlier, I run a nonprofit organization called the Hate Poor Foundation that helps people with disabilities in my community of Tuscaloosa. When I graduated from high school a few years ago, I didn't have plans except to work at the restaurant that I've been working at for six years, and I've had opportunities to do stuff in my personal life due to my financial situation, and I wanted to give back to our community and help people have the same opportunities that I have had. Another purpose of our foundation is to increase awareness of some of the obstacles that people with disabilities face. I have talked to groups ranging from kindergarten students to college students to change perceptions and educate our community members about people with disabilities. We are also planning to go bring about some adaptive recreational opportunities. These include water skiing, kayaking, and accessible trails. If people want to be involved, they can go to the Hate Poor Foundation.org. 
hankpoorfoundation.org. And we'll make sure we have that in the show notes there, Hank, so that anyone can go and check it out and get involved. Um, there's something that you mentioned there right at the beginning of that answer that I want to dig a little deeper into, if that's okay. And I think I saw a Facebook post uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe about it, about your job and how you have like, hey, I have three jobs. <laughs> so I remember you mentioned you work at a restaurant. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I've been working at Urban Cookhouse for five years, and I have a tray that attaches to the back of my wheelchair, and I deliver food to customers at tables. Ah, oh, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. It, it seems like you like it if you've been there for five years, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool, but then you, I remember you mentioned other jobs. So there's the restaurant job where you're... Um, are welcoming people and then and then delivering food and um but what are some of the other jobs I am a host at a bar called Sessions and I take people to their tables. I used to work at a coffee shop, but I resigned in May from there. Gotcha. Um, can I just ask you one more question about these jobs? So you had mentioned that um, uh, one of the reasons that you created the foundation was because you recognized that you grew up in a in a town that had resources, you had supports that maybe other people don't. I know that we have um, quite a few AAC users that listen to the podcast, and they might be looking for advice from somebody who, hey, this guy's got two jobs and he runs an organization. How do I get a job? What advice might you give an AAC user who is looking for employment? I would just say that if you are a C user, show other people who aren't user know that you are capable of anything and that yes, things might work differently for you, but you can't do anything you set your mind to. For sure. I mean, it's great advice for anybody, right? <laughs> don't limit yourself and don't let other people put limitations on you. Show them what you can do and, mm -hmm. and that'll open doors, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, which it, to that point, I was so excited to see you not at a special ed conference, but an Alabama educational uh, technology conference, right? Like I said, that's where we met. This was 
for anyone who's interested in technology that works in educational technology that is in Alabama. And I guess other states could come too. It's mostly people in Alabama, right? So you were there at that conference. How was the conference for you? What brought you there? And then I said, we were presenting opposite. So let's hear about your presentation. What were you presenting on? The conference was awesome for me. I was invited by my close friend, Elizabeth Stewart. We presented on the behalf of Toby Dynavox. We tagged team what we talked about. I talked about my experiences with my Dynavox and Elizabeth talked about what the company is overall. Mm -hmm. I had mentioned in a couple episodes ago that Toby Dynavox was also at, so there's the state conference, right? This is AETC, but there's also a, a national conference called ISTE, the International Society for Technology and Education. So all the states have uh, affiliates that go to this national conference and Toby Dynavox was there as well. So, so cool. And uh, did, was it fun? Did you enjoy presenting? Oh. Yes, I love it so much that me and Elizabeth are going to another one in January in Orlando. I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but it's a big conference. <laughs> I know it, Hank. I'm going to be there. We're going to get to see each other again. It's called it's called ATIA. Is that the one? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Uh, it is a great time. It is like a big party because uh, so many people that work in our space kind of get together there. So uh, you're going to meet so many you've never been before, right? No. no. <laughs> okay. You're going to have a blast. I just, I promise you. I promise you. So great. All right. I'll see you in January. Now you, you mentioned um, that you presented on your uh, experience with Toby Dynavox and, and how about, uh, let's, let's talk about, let's dig into that for a second here. What's your history with AAC? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about those early years, how you ended up, um, with what you use and what you use now. Uh, we, uh, so many people that listen to this podcast are interested in figuring out how can I help the people I work with um, become proficient users. So hearing about your experiences can help tie into uh, other people's experiences. I used a Dynavox when I was five, but I couldn't access it well, so I gave up. Next, I used ProLoco 2 Go, and I used an iPad that was mounted to my chair with my big toe to access it. Now I use a Toby Dynavox with my eyes for most of my talking, but I also still use my big toe to access my phone and iPad. Personally, I'm hopeful and ready for Apple products to be as equally represented as Windows products and for them to have easier and faster access to things. I would also like for devices to have more realistic sounding voices. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let me ask you this, Hank. 
Um, so uh, it sounds like something we talk about on this podcast quite a bit is that uh, many times a speech language pathologist, a teacher, a parent, somebody who's working with an AAC user is trying to select one primary system. But something we keep hearing over and over and over again from the AAC users that we uh, interview is that AAC users use multiple tools, not just one tool uh, to communicate. So for instance, you just mentioned how you use a Toby Dynavox and then you said, eh, that was when I was five and two, two I was it wasn't the right tool for me at the time so you moved to Proloquo and now you're back to using a Toby Dynavox with your with eye gaze but you're also using your toe to access your iPad right so that to me that sounds like multiple tools does that sound yeah. fair yeah yeah so it's not really about selecting a tool or even one primary tool, maybe, but figuring out a system together of a bunch of tools that might work. Does that sound about right? Yes, I completely agree with that. Come from a person who has a lot of experience with the disability world, sometimes you have to try a lot of tools to test out and wait for the right thing to come to you. You try out some things and you'll get an impression of what works for you and yeah. what eh, kind of don't like this. This is uncomfortable for me. Oh, this one's not as bad as that other one. Oh, I really like this one. That sort of thing. I tried the first iGlaze when it first came out and it didn't work at all, but here I am now with it and the technology has gotten so much better that I truly don't know what I would do without it. Mm -hmm. That That's such an excellent point, Hank, right? Like technology is changing and uh, growing at such an, a fast rate. So you might s try something one day and be like, nah, it's not right for me, but let's come back to it in six months, a year when there's some updates, right? Uh, a no right now doesn't mean a no forever, right? Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. Cool. All right. So what kind of advice would you give somebody? Like I said, we have some uh, AAC users that listen to the podcast. Um, and I know that's a, there's lots of different AAC users, but if someone was new to AAC, what kind of advice might you give them? I would just say, yes, your experience with this kind of technology will be hard throughout your life and you will feel like giving up, but you will get used to it and it will come naturally to you throughout the years that you use and get comfortable with it. 
Again, this sounds like great advice, not just for AAC, but any technology. And like the uh, the 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 marathon that you're looking to run in San Francisco, the skiing yeah. is that fair? Yeah, 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 hiking, all of that kind of stuff. Um, what about the support network? Again, you had said that um, you had a support network that helped you helped you learn how to use the tools. What um, and and learn. Uh, I guess more than just you AAC, right? Um, what advice would you give somebody who is working with an AAC user? If I could give an AAC user advice, I would probably just say don't give up and show people that even though you have a speech device to say stuff, you have a lot to say and you have a right to be heard. If you are a speech therapist, I would probably just say be patient and listen to your actual clients. And I don't really have a lot of do's and don'ts, but one of my do's is to think outside of the box. I just received a device that will allow me to use iGlaze on my laptop, so I'm excited about the doors that will open. Fantastic, Hank. Yeah, so you just received... Tell me that last part again. You can use iGaze now? Yeah. Huh? On your device? Or do you mean on your iPad? On my PC computer, but I'm trying to get the new case for my iPad. Ah, fantastic. Gotcha. So you have an eye gaze system for your PC computer. Now. Yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, which opens up another way to access it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, all right. So let me ask you this. Uh, and I think you may have answered this already, but just to make sure, I think this is what you were saying earlier. When it comes to AAC or anything else, what are you curious about for your, for the future? Personally, I'm hopeful and ready for Apple products to be as equally represented as Windows products and for them to have easier and faster access to things. I would also like for devices to have more realistic sounding voices. So let me make sure I understand that. You're thinking that um, Apple's trying to catch up with Windows, right? Yeah. So it's kind of good that these companies compete against each other, right? Yeah. Because it's a new accessibility feature. Then we got to yeah. have it too, and they just go. They go. It just helps yeah. everyone who's who's using yeah. the tools, right? Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, I like that too. I like that for many purposes because it also one for me selfishly it makes my job easier, but it also yeah. uh, there's always new things to present on and yeah. to show people because there's always yeah. new updates coming, right? And it's funny you say that too, Hank, because um, Microsoft for a while now has really understood accessibility and has understood that if we make things more accessible, we get more users and we get more money if we have more users. So yeah, why yeah, do we make no. things accessible? <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. What's next for you, Hank? What's, what's coming up? I know you're going to ATIA, but what else is going on? I would like to eventually move away from my hometown and live independently and have the experience of living independently like everyone else. So that's my next big goal. Until then, I will continue working on my jobs and the foundation. So you're saving up money, right? And then 
can I ask what would be, what were some steps you need to take to achieve that goal? This is we, and as you're formulating that, I'll just say, this is sort of the coaching that Rachel and I do for other people. When we do calls is we, we ask them thoughtful questions to, <laughs> to help them realize their own action plan. So I'm going to ask you the same thing. You know, what, what steps do you need to take? Well, I have a Google Docs that I started putting research on, and I've been looking up stuff for two years ago, and I've been talking with my friends who have disabilities and work with people who have disabilities and trying to get feedback from them. I've also been trying to go to retail stores alone and seeing how the employees interact with me since I have different ways of buying stuff than typical people buy stuff. Sounds like a great strategy. Use your network to learn strategies about how to accomplish your goals, right? It's your, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your friends your friends, and your professional network to help. Yeah. Sounds great. Uh, and... It also sounds like you're using other technology, Google Docs, to to yeah. maintain it and go back and reference and take notes. Yeah. Of it, right? yeah. Um, Hank, how can people reach you if they wanted to learn more? Go to I know HankPoorFoundation.org, but how do they contact you if they wanted to learn more? People can email me at hate.poor at yahoo.com or Facebook message me. Cool. So it'd be okay for people to write you and send you a Facebook message? Of course. Cool. Well, Hank, any final thoughts here before we wrap up the, the interview? No, thank you for letting me be a part of your podcast. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Hank, for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. I'll see you at ATIA. <laughs> <laughs>